This past uh, Monday, Karen and I took uh, Mary Beth to, to Virginia Tech for freshman orientation. And the very first thing they dealt with, you know, got all these people in the room and the, and the, uh, the brainwashing begins. And, and uh, they, the thing they deal with right up front, and you know this if you're not a hokey, is what in the world is a hokey? And so when we get in, that's the first question they address is, what is the hokey? As a matter of fact, all the freshmen got a, a t-shirt that, that on the front, the question says, what is a hokey? And on the back is the answer. I am. Okay? Now, just take that whole story I just told you and just put it over here on the back burner for a while, okay? I, I'm done with that. I'm making a transition that has nothing to do with that. But I'm coming back, so, so keep it over there nearby. Are you with me? Oh boy, I tell you, that's, that's a real confidence builder there. Okay, I've lost you within 30 seconds. Uh, what comes to your mind when you think of the word church? I say that word, what, what, what comes to your mind? You know, I think for a lot of us, when, when we hear the word church, when we think of church, we, it's probably a little bit of a nostalgic journey. Have you noticed when you think of church, you tend to go back in time? You, you think about that place where you grew up. You, you tend, to, tend to think of maybe that church you were in when your Christian life was kind of at a pinnacle. You know, we have high points. We're not always up there on a high point, but, but maybe we think of that church where we were at a high point. Of course, I think when we think of church, we think of that, that place, that building that contains a lot of our special, a lot of our important family memories. You think of a, of a wedding. You think of a funeral, a, a baptism, a, a baby dedication. I hope when you think of church, you, you think of that place maybe where you came to the Lord or certainly presently where you're growing in the Lord and seeking to know the Lord and where you have your greatest opportunity to know Him. Of course, church is also that place that we go to and, and then when we leave that building, we get into a car and we begin to you know critique the music and the sermon and what that person was wearing today. And uh, as I've come to discover recently, what is a common conversation as we leave the parking lot is the, the length of the pastor's hair and what is he doing with it and, and why is he doing that? And uh, I'm not going to answer any of those questions. I'll just give you something more to talk about today uh, in the car. You know, I hope when you hear the word church, whatever comes to your mind, I, I hope it's good. And, and if you hear the word church and it does bring positive emotions, positive memories, apparently you're kind of in a minority. You're in a rare group in our culture more and more. I've got a book here and I think the title, the title says it all. They like Jesus, but not the church. They like Jesus, but not the church. And the message of the book, the theme of the book, really doesn't get much beyond the title. It just goes through and shows that when you, do, when you interview individual people, when you do polls and surveys, you find that people actually have a really very positive view of the person of Jesus Christ. People are very open to talking about the person, open to talking about his teachings, very positive, very open. But the moment the church gets attached to Jesus. Man, all bets are off. The conversation is over. That's where people are offended. That's where they don't want to talk anymore. Jesus positive. Add the church. I'm done talking. Why is that? Why does the church seem to attach such a, a negative impact to the person of Jesus? 
You know, I, I kind of thought through that. I didn't get this out of the book. I just thought in my own conversations with people. And, and I thought of some key words, some words that maybe why the culture, why people don't like the church. One word is politics. You know, the culture sees the church maybe as an, as an arm, not of God, but as an arm of, of a narrow political view. Another word that comes to my mind is, is hurt. People get hurt in the church. They're hurt by a pastor. They're, they're hurt by a member of the church. Maybe they went through a, a, a severe time in their life, a real time of suffering, and they, they kind of felt abandoned by the church. But now when they hear that word church, it's hurt. Hurt is what, what they feel. Another word. This is awful. Fighting. You ever heard people talk about, man, the church, they fight in the church. They fight inside the church. They fight between churches. They, they fight between denominations. I, at least in the American culture, and most of what I'm talking today is not the, the church around the world, but at least in our, in our culture, American culture, and we're known for fighting. Isn't that interesting that Jesus said what is going to be, what should be the number one character quality of the church, what shows that Jesus is here, is our love. So, folks, is there something really wrong when the culture looks at us and love is not what comes to mind? Fighting is what comes to mind. Another word, and I know you've heard this one, hypocrisy. <laughs> Why go to church? I know all kinds of church people. They're worse than the people who don't go to church. I don't know if that's the truth or not. Probably exaggerated, but it's their perception. And how about this last word? Maybe the biggest problem the church actually faces right now. Irrelevant. We're irrelevant. Synonym with irrelevant, boring. You know, people are dealing with issues in life, questions in life, struggles in life, and they come to church and it just looks like we're jumping through, you know, some kind of religious ceremony, religious hoops, and when we leave, hopefully God's happy with us. But it hasn't answered any questions. It hasn't helped me with life. Look at church, it's irrelevant today in society. I've heard every one of these words used multiple times by multiple people. I'm not suggesting whether that's true or not. As I said already, I think maybe in some ways it's exaggerated view of the culture. I'm also not suggesting that we judge ourselves by the culture's opinion because folks the truth is jesus says when the church is doing what the church should do when you and i are being what we're supposed to be the world is going to be offended we're not like the world they are going to be offended but i think we've got to stop and ask ourselves if they like jesus but we're in the way of them getting to jesus that's a problem isn't it that that's when we need to stop and say hey what's what's going on here God put the church here as an instrument to draw people to Christ, not something he'd have to work around to show them Christ. We're continuing today our series, What Is? We've been in this now. Gosh, we're, we're coming up on four months that we've been crawling through this. We've looked at what is the Bible? What is God? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And now we're two weeks we've been looking at what is the church? Last week we looked at uh, baptism and Lord's Supper and today we're going to look at kind of a, a general view of what the church is about. Next week, angels and demons. No, that's a hot topic, so we'll leave a little commercial there. But today, what is 
the church. Now, I want to do something a little bit different. Quite often what we do is we, we open up our Bible and we dive into a passage. But I don't want to look at a passage today. What I want to do, we're going to do a little reading exercise here. I want to read about six or seven passages to you. And I'm going to move through them pretty quickly. You may not even want to try to flip and catch up with me. You may want to just sit and listen. And here's our goal for these next few moments. I want us to listen to God talk about the church. Not what the culture says. Not what you and I say. Let's just listen to God, talk about the church. What was he thinking? What, what was his idea? Why are we here? Let's listen to God talk about the church. I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 16. You see the passages up here. I'm not going to stop and elaborate really on any one passage other than to draw out some key words. So while you're not flipping with me, you may want to jot these down and uh, check out these passages on your own a little bit later. I'm going to start in Matthew 16, verse 15. This is Jesus speaking, and he said, But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, on this truth, on this conviction that I am the son of God, that I am the Messiah, on that belief, I will build my church and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. Now, now, folks, as I hear God talking about his church, words I hear are power, conviction. Uh, there, there's an impact being made. That doesn't sound like boring and irrelevant to me. Not when God's talking about it. Uh, listen to another passage. This is uh, Matthew 28, just a few chapters later. Again, this is Jesus talking in verse uh, 18. And he says, then Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And I hear that passage. I, I hear the word mission. Man, we of all people should not be wandering around on the planet, wondering what the purpose of life is. What's the meaning of life? What am I to be doing? Man, Jesus has sent us on a mission. We're to be a mission-minded people. Listen to this passage. I've kind of already referred to it. John 13, verse 34. I give you a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. Now listen to this. By this... By this love we have for each other, by the way we relate, a watching world should be able to stand back, look at the way we re relate, and listen to this. By this, they'll know you're my disciples. How do people know we're a true church? How do people know we're genuine, real followers of Jesus Christ and that that Jesus is actually God? How do they know? By our love. Our love, that's the character that is to define us. Just a, a few chapters later, Jesus is praying, and listen to what he says. In verse 20, I pray not only for these, 
but also for those who believe in me through their message. Now, what Jesus is saying here is he's praying to God, the father, and he says, Lord, not only do I pray for these right in front of me, these apostles, but I pray for all the people who are going to believe in me through their message. You know, he's praying for future believers. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. And what does he pray? Verse 21, may they all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am you, may they also be one in us. Why? Listen to this last verse. So the world may believe you sent me. Folks, here again, our relationships with each other is to be a proof that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The way we work together, the way we worship together, the way we serve together is to be proof that Jesus Christ was sent from God. Our unity. You know, I always like to say in unity, folks, unity doesn't mean we all agree. We're, we're very different. We have different personalities, different needs, different backgrounds, different expectations, and there's no possible way we're going to agree on everything going on in here. Unity is not fairy dust that sprinkles down out of heaven and falls on us so that we all agree. Unity is a choice we make. We choose to be one. We choose to be unified for Christ and his presentation to the world. Another passage, Acts chapter 2. This is kind of right here at the birth and the beginning uh, of the church. It's already happened in chapter 1. And then uh, in chapter 2 it says this. So those who accepted his message, this was Peter preaching. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, not that year, not in the history of the church, that day about 3,000 people were added to them. That's a pretty good haul for one day, don't you think? 3,000 people were added to them, baptized on that same day. Verse 42, and they devoted, they were committed, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Brand new believers, a brand new church, and they're, that, that they're, there's a list there of kind of what the church is to be doing and is to, to be about. Another passage, 1 Corinthians Chapter 12, we actually referred to this not too long ago when we were looking at the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14. So the body is not one part, but many. I mean, there's not one of us in here. There's a lot. We're, we're many parts. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. Well, in spite of this, it still belongs to the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. Well, in spite of this, it still belongs to the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the parts, each one of them, God has placed each one of us in the body just as he wanted and if they were all the same part, where would the body be? Now, there are many parts, yet one body. A couple of ideas in there. One I just want us to leave with is that word interdependent. You know, folks, this is a, a, a place. The church is a, a, is a place where a key character quality of the American life really works against us. A key quality of the American life is our individualism. It's about me, it's about my rights, it's about my freedoms, it's all about the individual. But folks, God's design is that when we walk in this room, it's not about me, it's about us. And I need you, 
And you need me and you need the people all around you. We need each other. We're not in here to proclaim our independence and how strong we can stand on our own. We're in here to proclaim how much we need each other. That's God's design. Ephesians, one more passage. This is a, 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 a kind of a long one I'm getting ready to read. And there is a lot of ideas in this passage about what the purpose of the church is, what it's made up of, what it's to be and do. And, and try to hang on to as much of this as you can. We're going to conclude with one thought. Ephesians 4.11. And he, this is the Holy Spirit, he personally gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and some teachers for the training of the saints in the work of the ministry, to build up. The, the church is to be in a building mode, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith, unity in the knowledge of God's Son, growing, growing. You see that word in Acts? It was growing in numbers. In Ephesians, it's growing in quality. The quality of the church, the quality of the individual. We're growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves. Man, don't you feel like you're being tossed around by life sometimes? Man, when the church is being the church, what's going to result is we're not tossed. We're not tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow... That's a qualitative statement talking about the quality of our lives, the quality of our church. Let us grow in every way into him who is the head Christ from him. The whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. You know, what, what, what results in the church, folks, is, is personal growth. It's, it's maturity. It's strength. It's a life individually, and it's a body as a whole that is prepared to walk out into that world and live successfully and faithfully before God. Now, folks, when you read God's ideas, when you read God's design, it sounds like... <laughs> ah, it sounds like this ought to be the most relevant, powerful, meaningful place we come week in and week out. Shouldn't it? God's design is good. God's plan is good. And I'm not really sure why it seems like so few churches. And I'm not sure if I'm right in saying that, to be honest with you. I'm not sure if the, right, if the word few is right or not. Why do so few churches seem to arrive at that design? I mean, folks, I get frustrated sometimes. I mean, I'm a part of this mess. I'm a pastor. I'm saying stuff that nobody should say. I feel sometimes more like the watching world when I look at the church. I feel like sometimes, you know, if, if, if I'm on a plane talking to somebody, we're talking about the Lord, and, and you know, I say, man, I'm telling you something, God's design for your life is the church. You need to go to a church. When they get off that plane and go to their hometown, I'm guessing there's about an 8 out of 10 chance if they walk into a church, it's going to be boring and irrelevant. I hope We need to edit that out, Mike, when it goes on TV and radio, okay? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm wrong for saying that or not. I don't know that the church is a big help to an individual walking through this battle that we call life. Okay, I, I see a lot of churches and, and their effort to present the message of God, their effort to do the work of the ministry is so minimal. 
Have you ever seen that in church? Everybody's effort there in doing that is the absolute bare minimum. That effort wouldn't work anywhere else in life. It wouldn't work on the softball field. It wouldn't work at work. It wouldn't work at school. That wouldn't work anywhere. And that's what we offer to God. Now, what does that say to a watching world about the worthiness of our God? And folks, don't confuse what I'm saying up here. I'm not at all suggesting that Colonial Heights Baptist has arrived at the answer. I'm not suggesting that we're a perfect church. I think there is the very real possibility that that somebody could walk into this house, spend a morning with us, spend a month with us, and perhaps walk away experiencing any one of those five words that I mentioned earlier. I sure don't want that to happen. As a matter of fact, I think nothing probably burdens my heart more than that. I want to tell you something. Sounds like a pastor statement, and I'm not being a pastor when I say this. I love Jesus Christ, and I love His church. I've been blessed. I understand that you've come from a a wide array of experiences. There's probably people in here that have come out of a church split. Most people I know that have been through a church split know what it is to be hurt inside a church. I have had nothing. I don't know why God's allowed this. I've had nothing but positive experiences with churches in my life. And it's it's just been a wonderful... I love the church. In between the the summer, between my 7th and 8th grade year, uh, our family, we were in in a mainline denomination church and we had been churchgoers going to church all of our lives but we were that was waning it it was starting not to happen as much some of because of what was happening in the church some because it was boring and irrelevant and and we ended up trying a a southern baptist church now my sisters and i when we walked in that church we, we they had us hook line and sinker i mean from the moment we were there we wanted to be there all the time everything they were doing i think for my mom and dad it was a little bit more of a trip you know, they, they were from the Midwest, and, and, you know, of course, it has that title, Southern Baptist. Doesn't that kind of tell the rest of the country you don't belong? You know, I mean, this is Bubba's church. Back off. You know, and, and, and coming out of the denominations that they had grown up and everything. I mean, Southern Baptist, that's where the pastor yells a whole bunch, isn't it? You know, so I think it was a little bit more for my parents to kind of make that transition over 30 years later. All of my family, or a lot of my family is still in that church. We were all saved in that church. Uh, my mom and dad are still active there. My sister and one of her families uh, is active there. And, and guys, I'm going to tell you something. I loved being there. I loved being at Second Baptist. I loved the, the preaching. I loved the music. I loved the ministries. I loved my, my youth pastor. I loved everything about it. I remember a couple of years later, and I told a little bit of this once before, but a couple of years when we were into college, Karen and I were coming home for the weekend. We brought some friends with us, and uh, we were going to show them the big city of Houston that weekend. We were going to tour Houston. And you know what, folks, is all the things we had planned for that weekend, I was most excited about, most proud of, was going to be taking them to my church that Sunday morning. And man, my church delivered. I mean, it was awesome. It was such an incredibly awesome and powerful hour that we were in there. And, and near the end, like I do, when we get to the end of the sermon, we, you know, we bow and we pray. I remember bowing. I can take you to the spot I was sitting, and I started to cry. I said, God, could I be a pastor one day where the most exciting thing going on in that church or the most exciting thing going on in people's lives is their church. And they can't help. They can't help but bring people to it. 
When we bring people, we're, we're bringing them to a place where the Word of God is taught, where, as it said in Matthew 28, we teach everything that Jesus told us. And we learn to shape and direct our lives by what Jesus taught. Where we, where we come here and we love and serve each other, just as Christ loved and served us. A place where you experience God. Man, when you leave here, let me tell you something, folks. Maybe one Sunday, I don't know, but you come here two Sundays in a row and you're not sure God's here, go somewhere else. You need to be where God is. You need to know, I've been with God. I've heard from God. Not a pastor, not a choir, not a Sunday school teacher. I've heard from God. I've seen and experienced God today. You need to go to a place, man. This needs to be a place where we're making a difference. God forbid the Sunday we turn on the lights and have service because it's Sunday. We're not having service because it's Sunday. We're having service to change our world. We're having service to give God the opportunity to change our lives. We're here to make a difference. Church is a place where we ought to be able to build a life. Build a family. And I tend to think it ought to be a little bit of fun somewhere along the way. Man, I think church ought to be a place where you can't help but share it with others. Yes, there's the command of God to go. Yes, there's that mandate on my life. But we're out there telling people about what God is doing in our lives and what God is doing in our church, not because we're commanded, because we can't help it. It's so exciting. It's so good. It's so fun. And we can't help but bring people to the person of Jesus Christ. And I can't help but think that what I want is probably a lot of what you want too. The question becomes, how do we get that? How do we seek to be that church. I want us to interact for a second with, with a statement uh, read by a guy named A.W. Tozier. He's one of my favorite authors. You've heard me mention him before. And folks, the thought in this statement, I'm going I'm to step out on an edge here and say, probably most of us have never thought this way. And I'm including the, the strong believer, the been in church all my life believer. I'm guessing you've not quite put it together just like this. I think it's a profound statement. We Christians, that's, that's you and me. We are the church. And whatever we do, let me boil that down just a tad more. Whatever you do is what the church is doing. So any forward step in the church any forward step in combating the, the politics, the hurt, the fighting, the hypocrisy, the irrelevancy, anything we're going to do to move forward is done by you. It's done by an individual. Folks, the church being the church is not dependent upon the pastor. It's not dependent upon an elder board or a deacon board. It's not dependent upon the presbytery or the bishop. It's not dependent upon the pope. It's dependent upon you. What is the church? You are the church. The Hokies stole that from the Bible. <laughs> you are the church. Do we think that way? You know, when I sit here and say the church being the church, that's dependent upon you. I made that statement and I thought of myself sitting out there where you are. And I thought, how would I hear that? And you know what I thought? Oh, yeah, right. Woohoo! whole church dependent upon me. Is that what you're going to say to God? I wouldn't suggest it. I wouldn't suggest telling God, oh yeah, I'm the church Lord. Woohoo! You are the church. I want to conclude this morning with a couple of ideas about my role. And, and when I say my, 
You're saying my. Each of us is saying my role in the church being the church. These six ideas kind of came out of that statement made by A.W. Tozier. As a matter of fact, I, it, it, I'm not quoting him, but I need to give credit to him. These are my words, but it was his ideas. I kind of pretty much gleaned it from him. Six things that you and I do to be the church. Number one, I've got to forsake all sin. Folks, this is kind of a new revolutionary way of thinking about sin. You should think of sin as, you know, the fun I'm trying to get away with without God seeing. You know, folks, when you and I sin, we are showing the world a sinning church. Okay, don't don't think of the building, the sign. The building has never sinned. To my knowledge, the sign out front has never sinned. But when I go into the workplace, when I go to school, when I go out in front of others and I lie... You know what I just told him? The church is a liar. Have you ever made that connection, that thought? As a matter of fact, you may be sitting there saying, oh, you know, I'm not sure I buy that. Folks, think about why people don't like the church. It's not because of the sign. And it's not because of the building. It's because of the individual actions of people. You are the church. And I can't go out there and say the, the, the church lusts. I can't go out there and say, man, the church is greedy. I can't go out there and say the church is all about me. We've got to forsake sin. And kind of the flip side of that, the opposite of that is, man, I've got to be committed to following Christ in everything I do. Because in every single place, I don't want to show a sinning church. I want to show Jesus. I am you are the body of Christ. That's a synonym, another name for the church, the body of Christ. So in that decision, in those finances, in that relationship, in that workplace, on that softball team, I am the body of Jesus right there in that spot. I'm showing them what Jesus would do. That's the church. We've got to be committed to that. We need to walk in the Spirit. Now, we talked about the Holy Spirit a couple of weeks ago. Remember, we talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit? Okay, that has to be there because number one and two are impossible. I mean, I, I really, I can't forsake all sin. I, I tend to really naturally end up in it a whole bunch. And, and I, I, you know, it's difficult to follow. I, I'm not sure I want to be the body of Christ in, in this particular spot right here. I'm not even sure I want anybody to know I know them. See, these things are hard in our own power, in our own wisdom, but... Relying on the Holy Spirit, they become much more doable. He's got to be the supreme influence in our life. Number four is right from Jesus. He said this in Matthew 6, 33. You and I are about one thing. We don't have a whole lot of things to do this week, folks. I don't care what your to-do list is. You've got one thing to do this week, and that's to pursue his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, you might pursue it on vacation. You might pursue it at work. You might pursue it while you're doing 25 errands. But that's your one thing. That's your one goal. We have got to guard against giving our lives to this world. It's difficult. Every one of us does it. Every single one of us gets bogged down in living for this stuff, this day, this planet. When we're living for this world, we're not the church. In fact, what the Bible says is church, we're pilgrims. We're passing through. We're on a journey. Our focus has got to be what is to come. We've got to practice the art of long and loving meditation on the majesty of God. You know, folks, a big purpose in this whole series, if you'll go back to the first sermon, is to help us expand our ability to think longingly and lovingly on Christ and God. 
It's to expand our ability to think accurately. Why? Because that's the fuel for everything we're talking about. That's the motivation. You see, the bigger and bigger and bigger that God becomes in my heart and mind, the less and less what I do is because of a command. It becomes more and more a very natural motivation. You know, the bigger he becomes in my life, I'm out there not telling people about Christ because that's what I was commanded to do. And I'm going out here to be obedient today. No, I can't help but do it. He's become so big in my life. And that's kind of where number six goes, folks, that the bigger my knowledge, the bigger my understanding, the bigger my love for God becomes. It just makes it an imperative that our greatest commitment is going to be. Well, what Jesus commitment was to be a servant. To serve people. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. So when he leaves and he leaves his body here, guess what we have to be all about? Serving. Serving each other. Serving our community. Serving our world. Now, folks, I look at that list. And I think, you know what? That that would do it, wouldn't it? Can you imagine with me if every one of us was doing that? I mean, we average about 2,100 people a Sunday. Now, it doesn't take 2,100 people to average 2,100 people. It actually takes, I think, we probably about 3,000. Because you've got your every weekers, every other weekers, once a monthers. You think we don't know that. <laughs> but there is probably right now about 3,000 people in this community that would say, I go to Colonial Heights Baptist. I, I maybe you say I even belong up whether they've even joined or not. I, I go to Colonial Heights Baptist. I belong to Colonial Heights Baptist. Probably takes about 3000 people to average 2100. Now, you got that number in your mind? What would it look like? We're not a massive community here. OK, what what would it look like if 3000 people day in and day out were, were even seeking? To, I'm not saying doing that perfectly, even attempting to do that, even trying to do that. What would that look like? Folks, it would change the whole world. It would absolutely impact our community and our world for Jesus Christ. That's how the church is going to be the church. You know, folks, I, I, we're answering the question, what is the church? And I don't, I don't know that I really gave you any information on answering that question today. We didn't talk about church governance you know, look at all the different denominations. There's churches that are independent. We have our own governance within ourselves. And then you've got hierarchies and presbyteries and bishops and headquarters and all that. We didn't talk about church leadership or ordination or decision making. We didn't talk about any of these things that we might think make up an understanding of the church. But I kind of came to the conclusion in my study and my prayer this week. You know what? It doesn't matter if we know what the church is. Doesn't matter what you know or don't know about it if you don't first realize you. You are the church. You know, we come into church, we're carrying a lot of different issues with us sometimes. We're looking for answers. We're, we've got struggles, we've got problems. I need help, I want help. And sometimes we, we have songs, we have messages that, boy, they just aim right at that. This is probably not one of those messages. Oh, I'm the church. Well, yippee! How's that going to pay my bills? How's that going to make me love my mate? How's that going to help me figure out this child? How's that going to help me deal with that jerk at work? Folks, let me ask you a question. How do you suppose you're going to come to the answers in life while at the same time you're ignoring what you were designed to be and do? 
You can't step away from everything you're designed to be and do and at the same time anticipate you're going to find answers, meaning, purpose, and direction. You are the church. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that uh, you have allowed us to enjoy a beautiful sign out front. You've given us an incredible building and our, our building has been a great tool for, for reaching and for ministering and for serving. And we thank you for that, Lord. But God, not for a single second may we ever think that the bricks and sticks that make up this building are a church. This is nothing but a building. And this building will not impact the community and world for Christ. It's the lives that move in and out of this building. God, I, I, I don't know what I don't know how to explain this or what to do. I am I am wholly dependent upon you. I'm just turning this thought over to you. God, would you convict me? Would you convict every one of us? God, this week, would you help us to not be able to get away from this idea that I am the church? And whatever I'm doing in my world, at work, in relationships, wherever I am, I am showing the body of Christ. Lord, I want to be something you can use, not something you have to work around. We as a people want to be something you can use, not something you have to work around. God, I pray or I confess to you my lack of faith. I have a lack of faith that 3,000 of us would take on this list. So God, after I confess that, could I ask it? Would you lead every one of us, whether whether we consider ourselves a strong Christian or a weak Christian, uh, uh, an every weaker or once a month or God, wherever we are in our journey with you, may we begin to take on that list. May we begin to realize I am the church. God, as you build this truth in our lives. Do with it what you want. To your glory. To the advancing of your kingdom. May you be more and more. And may I be less and less. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.